Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ulster Rugby Roundup. This is season two, episode two. I decided to call it that this season because I think it makes it seem more professional. It's like Game of Thrones to have a second series. We've been granted a second series. Or like uh, Alan Partridge. Give me a second series. We've been given a second series. So with me, Gareth Anna, this week are Jonathan Bradley. Hello, hi, how And Adam McKendry. Hey, guys. But no Shane Todd. He's left us again. That was just a one-week special. So if you want to hear Shane Todd, just go and listen to last week's episode. But do you know... Uh, us three of the stars really. yeah, well, I was yeah. going to say that but we want people to listen to us not him well <laughs> him too but mainly us <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we've got a little bit of a listener special for you this week the season uh, proper doesn't obviously get underway until September but this Friday which is tomorrow night Ulster are playing Wasps so ahead of that game we're just going to look at a lot of your questions because we know we ignored a few of them last week but we have saved them over and we're going to get stuck into them all this week we're going to start off with the weekly Dono which is back for season 2 um, he asks were you surprised by the intensity and continuity of the Gloucester fixture saying pre-season is usually a loosey-goosey affair which is a great term <laughs> of course Ulster lost 29-17 at home to Gloucester last weekend plenty of academy players in the side so were you surprised? Uh, I know exactly what Dono means because I'm a firm believer that not in terms of spectacle but in terms of fitness they're the only reasons to have pre-season games like to watch they're normally the worst thing in the world but I actually pretty enjoyed Saturday to be honest I thought it was a decent enough game and um, as Donal sort of alludes to there the intensity of the game was surprising for this time of year it was obviously helped by the fact that Gloucester had about 80% of the ball so what you were seeing from Ulster was intensity and defence by and large but um, it, for the time of year that it was and in the knowledge that there were going to be two um, separate teams in each half from Ulster largely yeah the intensity was there so it was a lot more enjoyable than, uh, than I thought it was going to be My favourite part was whenever Gloucester brought on about 12 subs all at once in the second half and the crowd actually started laughing <laughs> they brought them all, all on at once but then the players that they were pr- replacing didn't come off immediately so yeah. there was a time when Gloucester had what seemed to be 27 people on yeah. the pitch. Which... <laughs> okay, yeah, but it was a good first head out um, and there's not really much more you can read into it than that because Al- Ulster did have to do a lot of defending uh, because Gloucester did just hold on to the ball and they were, they were happy to use all their attacking moves but you just see that ring rustiness from everyone you know for the first 10 and 15 minutes that there just wasn't really much to get excited about um, and then Gloucester kind of kicked into action they sort of got things going and that Ulster hit back but Gloucester passed up uh, a guilt edge try I'm trying to remember the the winger's name who didn't pass inside but you know it's things like that that you're going to see in friendlies and as Johnny says, the only purpose they really serve is getting guys back up to speed, trying out a few wee moves that you maybe want to test out uh, during the season. Uh, and in, t- in terms of a first hit out, no significant injuries and everyone came through pretty well. It's, it'll, it's chalked up as a good day in the office, really. I think if you're going to talk about, you know, she obviously can't put too much 
stock into these things. But like last year, this time last year, the defence was terrible. And then the defence was terrible in the season. <laughs> and, you know, there was comments made in press conferences about how um, they weren't going to read too much into it or even review too much video from the preseason when the defence was that bad. And then you saw them make similar system errors in the early weeks of the season which was something that didn't mm. particularly go down well obviously mm-hmm. so just to uh, to talk a wee bit about it um, without putting too much importance on it the defence was something especially in the first sort of 30 minutes um, that was really impressive because just the spacing in the line was so much better and there seemed to be a bit more, I suppose, individual responsibility than collective responsibility. Um, what we saw was people making their tackles, but the, the timing and the spacing was so much better that even if somebody was able to make half a break, then there was another would-be tackler on each shoulder. And it just forced Gloucester into making decisions a lot quicker than what we've seen teams traditionally have to do against Ulster where there's a much more passive style of defence geared towards what's really a drift that you don't see an awful lot of teams use anymore. And then it was interesting to me that with that pressure that Gloucester were under, how quickly in terms of time on the clock and their time of possession that they reverted to just real sort of dinks over the top that were... um, not Hail Mary plays, but not far off it. And to see that system, regardless of the personnel, to see that system work so well from the Jared Payne's trying to bring in, I think was a really encouraging thing. And they probably did run out of gas a little bit. And I think they'll be, relatively speaking, quite disappointed to concede that try um, right at the end of the first half because I think if they had went in after 40 minutes um, having only shipped the one try having conceded as much possession as they did then you you would look at that as a really successful defensive effort the second try obviously comes off the back of a charge down charge down box kick but then even for that you know Gloucester have to work right to left and then left to right all the way back again before they force the penalty that ultimately yields them all that brings the try. Mm. So, look, yeah, well, you don't want to put too much stock in what we saw, but it was probably a mistake to not put that much importance on what we saw this time last year. So just to uh, not to look like we're focusing on bad things when they happen and not... Um, mm giving any credit to good things when they happen in pre-season I mean that was to me the main takeaway and that's on top of performances from a lot of younger players that I thought were were encouraging mixed but certainly encouraging 
Well, let's talk a little bit about the young players then, because obviously that was the main talking point when the team was announced and your favourite Ulster player ever, Michael Lowry, <laughs> finally making his debut. How did he get on? It was uh, it was the day that we were all in for. I think <laughs> it was. Uh, We've been counting down the days since he joined the academy. <laughs> the, the Ulster Rugby Roundup uh, WhatsApp group went in a meltdown. <laughs> whenever the team was announced. Do you think we could get shots? That's not that's shot that's just for Michael Lowry. That would be amazing. Um, we need to look into this. Like, Lowry has a very bright future ahead of him. For me... I want to see him be a lot more. I don't want to use the word proactive because he, as a fly half, he's obviously very involved. But the, the thing was, he just wasn't quite getting that backline moving. And I think whenever Billy Burns came on the second half, he definitely saw the pace of the game just take a step up. And that's naturally going to happen because he's a substitute. But Billy was just able to take the ball to the line a bit better. He was able to whip those passes out a bit faster. You can put it down to nerves a bit. You can put it down to uh, first start. And I don't think Johnny Stewart was giving him the service that he really needed to get the back line going as well as he did. But you saw little glimpses of what Larry can do. His his skip pass to uh, Timoney for his try was brilliant. It put him into just the right amount of space to get the handoff uh, and go on through. His kicking to touch was perfectly fine. You know that's you know one of the core things that you need your ten to do, and that was good. I think it's just something that he's going to grow into, and does it. That doesn't mean he had a bad game on Saturday. It just means, you know, the more he's involved in the setup, the more he gets, you know, reps with Stuart at scrum half, and even better whenever John Cooney comes back and he gets a, yeah. a few reps with him in training. He's just going to keep improving, and as that familiarity with the system and with the team, uh, and just as he gets more confidence and experience, he'll just grow and grow into that role. But it, it was a solid start for him. But I wouldn't say, have said he was one of the standout guys in the pitch mm. uh, on Saturday. I think what you get with a player that age and in that position, we've seen it with um, Paddy Jackson in the not too distant past, what you get is you get a couple of insights into the real quality that he has Mm -hmm. and then over the years you expect to see more and more and more of those instances come into the fore and less and less and less of the inexperience. So in that way, I think you can draw the parallel to Jackson from whenever we first saw Jackson because there were moments of real quality. And another thing that we see, not dissimilar to Paddy Jackson, is for a comparatively small player, not afraid to make his tackles either. I mean, there were a couple of uh, kicks where he just didn't quite get the bounce. Um, but other than that, yeah, um, it's what we expect from him. Obviously, we've spent all this time talking about him, so... Uh, but then, when Billy Burns came on, the thing that struck me about uh, Burns was just how flat he played to the line. It was, um, I think that's what Ulster really need, and that's when Ulster have been successful. It's been with Jackson plays that flat to the line, and so that was an encouraging first cameo from him. It's probably one of the first times a lot of people who would have been there or were watching the Facebook will have seen of him. So. To see him then hobble off with uh, the groin injury is obviously the concern, and he's not not playing um, against Wasps this week. But from what he's been saying, sounds like he will be good to go for the Scarlets game. So, as well as the younger players, also, I mean, I thought Tom O'Toole got around the park really well. Obviously, he has yeah. had senior experience, so you wouldn't throw him in that group of debutants. Stuart Moore 
uh, coped really well, especially defensively. You can see him and Cave really working well together um, in that defensive midfield, which is something that we've seen good teams have been able to cut through Ulster that way in, um, over the last couple of years. But he equipped himself really well diving into that system. I think he made like three tackles in the first minute and a half or something like that. Um, Angus Kernan had some really bright moments as well on the wing. Um, Marcus Rice pickup for his try was brilliant vision just to see that, just to have the awareness that the gap was there. And he, he was quite busy around the park too. Um, went, went a bit quiet a few times, but he, he, he had yeah. a very good game. Straight into the Ulster way of duffing the kickoff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tradition. Interesting to see uh, Nick Timoney on the score sheet already again. Uh, I mean, he obviously came through last last season in the starting team. Is it like can he really push on and cement his place as like a really senior Ulster player this season? It's going to be interesting because on form, Timoney's there's your best bar rower from the past twelve months. But then you're now in this situation where I think we were we were going to talk about this later, but we might as well just do it now. Um, <laughs> So we, we, Forget the running order, we're uh, going off script. Well, we've, we've stepped on somebody's listener question, but um, when you look at that back row makeup, it's going to be fascinating now because Marcel could say if he can remain fit and Jordy Murphy are obviously your two best back rowers. But if everyone else can stay fit, and it's not going to happen throughout the entire season, <laughs> by and large, if you have that group available, it actually looks like quite a deep unit now because you have Nick Timoney who's really putting his hand up. You have Sean Reedy, who's an Irish international, been on the fringes of the setup for the last um, two years since that um, tour to Japan. So you have a lot more options. And with the injury history of a couple of guys, you know, you've know, you got a fair few ACL surgeries in that group combined, um, it's probably not a bad idea to rotate. And then an awful lot of the strength um, in the academy is in uh, the back row positions as well so it's very much a changed unit from how it felt when it was either Pedro Wannenberg, Chris Henry and Ferris or Ferris, Nick Williams and Chris Henry and then since that unit broke up obviously not helped by Marcel Gutsia's Injuries haven't only played five games in the two years. It's it's been a unit that's it feels like it's been in a state of flux for two years, and I think that we may see that change this year, and that's going to be massive for Ulster. Yeah. Well, just to throw in the question, um, Tom Cotter had asked, "What do you see as the back row makeup this season?" So, if if and when all of the players are fit and available, what would be your first choice there? You have to have you have to have Murphy. Timoney and Kutsia as your front line three with really really pushing there as for where they play we were discussing this before the podcast the way that Timoney beats people I'm using Johnny Johnny's words here by the way not mine the way Timoney beats people is he goes around them as opposed to through them like Nick Williams or Wannenberg did so ideally you want to see him playing seven with that kind of skill set you want him to improve that breakdown work so that he can take on that seven role where he's not relied on as the massive ball carrier. 
And then you've got Kutsia and Murphy, who are pretty much interchangeable between six and eight. It really doesn't matter which plays where, uh, as long as the two of them are on the pitch. And they can play uh, a very similar role in that they'll take on the bulk of the carrying duties. Then you, you go down, you've got Reedy, who will definitely push those guys. Uh, he will not be happy if he's sitting on the bench every week. So he, he'll absolutely be pushing in. He, he brings a very similar skill set to Timoney, but maybe sort of more of a physical ball carrying style uh, than Timoney does. So. I, th- I think really he provides more of a link than anybody else in the Ulster Barber who does. I think Chris Henry is definitely more of a groundhog than anybody else in that Ulster Barber unit. And I thought Chris Henry had a very good game on Saturday as well. He looks a lot leaner um, and a lot, a lot more involved. In terms Marcel of depth. Garcia has a different level of talent than anybody else and yeah. is a specimen <laughs> in a way that nobody else is. Um, Jordy Murphy can do little bits of everything. So you have very different skill sets among that. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about trying to find the right blend, you can almost go for a horses for courses yeah. type scenario. And, I mean, who you have, if you're in a European Cup final tomorrow, then if it's on form and everyone's fit, then I think you're going, could see a, at six, Murphy at seven, and Timoney at eight. But, I mean, it depends on the opposition. And basically everyone's going to get their game. Is yeah. Well, sorry, hopefully, and depending yeah. on... Injuries, everyone's going to get their games. <laughs> well, it's, it's amazing now sitting here and saying that Ulster have the options to tailor their back row. <laughs> I mean, the, yeah. two or three years ago, we've been sitting here saying, can Ulster actually put out a back row that looks half decent? Now we're saying, well, we can rest Katia for a week and bring in Reedy. You know, we can uh, drop Timon if he's fallen out of form a bit and bring in Chris Henry or something like that. It, it's just fantastic that Ulster have managed to work out a way to really get that depth from the squad. Mm-hmm. Chris Henry's performance, probably one of the, the big or maybe yeah. the biggest plus of, of last weekend. Yeah, the first sort of 15, 20 minutes, I mean, he was making an awful lot of tackles and there was two or three times where he either got in and made the turnover or got in a really good position to make the turnover and assist somebody else. And the other thing as well was the uh, pass for the first try was a nice, clever um, bit of awareness it didn't really get picked up on but um, mm. his involvement in that first try as well was big and I, d- I did think especially for the first sort of 20 minutes um, of that first half I thought he was probably Ulster's best player like Timoney then came into it um, a lot more over that sort of 20 minute to uh, 40 minute period and but those two in the back row I thought really uh, combined well and Chris, I think, probably by his own admission, did not play as much rugby as he wanted to last year. That was obvious. You know, there were times under John O'Gibbs where it certainly seemed like he was the sixth choice back row just going off the team selection. So if he can get back to um, being in that mix, then you're talking about the possibility that also could have five or six back rowers um, capable of playing high-end Pro 14 rugby and Champions Cup rugby. So it's it's a decent position to be in all of a sudden but look at the same time you're not going to bank on them all being fit mm-hmm. for the entire season because that's 
yeah. especially with the profile of that group it's just not going to happen and don't, like, don't forget you lose Murphy for most of the season with yeah. Ireland mm. so already yeah. you lose him for most we're, of we're it we're optimism here I feel, <laughs> I feel uncomfortable <laughs> are too close to me you can tell it's still August well, exactly. Uh, rugby Zealot, who I don't know if I've said that right or not, but here we are. Um, uh, we've had a few of his questions in the past, his or her, I'm not entirely sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, the, he, or she, well, yes, so he or she asks, what youngsters do we think could make a breakthrough uh, this season? Now you've had a chance to get a, a good look at a few of them there on, can, on Saturday. Can we count Angus Curtis, given he did sort of break into the team towards the end of last season? We'll, we'll say we'll say breaking through is a, a sort of reg to become a, a regular a regular okay. squad member. I, like I, Timony, for example, had his breakthrough last year. Like, yeah, the fact that he didn't, uh, or the fact he, that he yeah, did yeah, right. Okay, yeah. well, I'm I'm going to say Angus Curtis. For the reason that, as someone who can play 10 and 12, he becomes very valuable to Elster. First of all, as someone who can come on off the bench and cover both positions, and then potentially go into the team and play both positions. Because you're looking at, if McCloskey plays his way into form, you might start losing him to Ireland. Mm -hmm. And then you've got to get someone in at 12. You've got Darren Cave there, but I think Curtis is just such an exciting talent and he plays such a different way to how McCluskey does because McCluskey brings that physicality, which is great. But you put Curtis in there and he offers that uh, another playmaking option at 12. You know, with that experience at fly half, he's able to add another boot in the middle of the pitch and he's able to see a bit more of the creativity in the back line. So I think he's someone that, if you give him an extended run of games, especially with Billy Burns at 10, just where you have that creativity between the two of them, I think he's someone who could really come to the fore this season for Ulster. And again, as I say, as the ability to play 10 and 12, he's someone mm -hmm. you want on the bench just whenever you need to make the most yeah. of only having three backs replacements. Gentlemen, what do you think? Um, he's going to break through. He's going to be the next Nick Timoney. <laughs> I think we might see a fair amount of... Tom O'Toole this year. For me, Tighthead's really interesting because there's a number of players there and I don't think there's a great deal between any of them to the point where you wouldn't say with any amount of conviction who the first and second choice are going to be in three months' time. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a chance there for O'Toole to make an impact. Like, he's grew up playing in the back row and you can see so much of that in this game but having grown up in the back row it's probably a double-edged sword because you can also see that in the set piece work where mm. scrummaging is the area of his game that he needs to bring on and we mm. saw it in the Edinburgh um, away game when he made his debut but with Dan McFarland who has this reputation as um, a real technical coach has played in that front row and if he can bring O'Toole on set piece wise then the raw attributes are there for in a year's time for us to be talking about him as Ulster's first choice tight head um, the other possibility and it's interesting just with Adam saying about Angus Curtis and then everybody talking about Stuart Murray after the weekend um, the other possibility I think is James Hume just to go for a third centre <laughs> to throw into this mix I think we might see 
him sort of February, March time um, during the Six Nations. I think he's somebody that we might see end the season with between five and ten senior games. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, I feel like I had something to contribute there, but I can't remember what it was now. Well, oh, yeah, well, while you think about it, can I, can I just make a point on Tom O'Toole? This is where Aaron Dundon, as a former front rower himself, has to sort of look at O'Toole and say, here's someone who has all the raw talent to make it as a top-line tight head prop in the game. I've got to try and do everything I can to mould him into the best he can be. Yeah. So that I think there should be a lot of pressure on Aaron Dundon, and it's good pressure. It's the pressure mm-hmm. the coach should really relish to really refine Tom O'Toole into the player that a lot of people think he can be. We mentioned the specimen earlier, uh, making his first start this weekend, or his first appearance since that injury. What was it? A year? Maybe yeah, not quite a year. A year, year, year we'll say a year. Um, so that's just massive, isn't it? Huge. Um, it's like. This time last year, when Katsia played four games, like wrote a column in the paper about how Ulster were going to go as far as Katsia's knees could take them this year. Obviously, that turned out to be not very far. <laughs> Good start for one game, and then everything fell apart. Which actually, and then the season fell apart. <laughs> pretty apt, really, when I, when I look yeah. back on that now. And can't make any predictions about this year that might come true. <laughs> You'd. Uh, <coughs> the thing with Katsia is, and from talking to a few like players and coaches when he got injured that second time, this being the third time, I suppose. So when he came back from injury, or sorry, when he got injured that second time, having looked so good in that initial run of games, um, February, March time of 2017, the thing with Katsia was that it wasn't just what he could contribute himself. It seemed like he made it the rest of the pack so much better and it's that sort of a rising tide lifts all ships type of thing where he's really the fulcrum of that pack and if he can make everybody else around him better in the way that it looked like he could then it's a really it could be a really big year for Ulster up front because we've seen the Ulster pack's been criticised an awful lot and there's been times when Basically, since 2014, it hasn't been up to the standard of trophy-winning sides. And But if you look at that pack that they have out um, for the Wasps game, bear in mind that you've got two Lions to come back into it. I mean, it looks pretty decent, apart from the mm-hmm. fact that we've still got no idea who's actually the team's best loose head but mm. and not in the way that we don't know who the best tight head is in a in a different way. On <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kutzia having been out for so long, he's gotta be champing at the bit to get playing. Uh, and I know from speaking to some of the guys during preseason, you know, he, he came back and he's hitting things so hard that he was actually causing a few injuries and in training <laughs> during semi-contact sessions which uh, <laughs> says a lot about how, how excited he is to get yeah. back on the pitch mm-hmm. but also Ulster so last year they were still missing that explosive ball carrier the guy who every time he got on the ball you would think he's going to make yards or he's going to knock someone to the ground Kutsia brings you that mm-hmm. and I don't think anyone's going to be completely convinced that he's back until he plays a few games just yeah after how the last few seasons have gone. But look, 
if Ulster can manage him well and if they can make sure that everything's okay without wanting to be too cliched he's going to be like a new signing because yeah. he brings a new edge to the back row that Ulster just haven't had so I think the, the main thing is for the first few weeks at least Ulster have to manage him as much as they're going to want to use him 80 minutes every week just because of the quality he has they have to make sure that they don't overdo it and they have to make sure he's back 100% yeah. don't apologise for cliches this is sports journalism without cliches we have absolutely nothing exactly this, this is all it is <laughs> uh, a bit of news then that happened this week thank goodness on Sunday afternoon it came out that Dan McFarland would in fact take up his role as Ulster head coach on Monday which he did and um, since then sort of everybody seems to have had a little say on what it, what it means and what the significance is so have your say Jonathan here is your chance <laughs> <laughs> why can't I have my say I wish you get your say in a minute okay. chance to have a say whatever I want <laughs> write about it in the paper well I was just trying to build it up but right, sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah it's well it's not a bad thing is it <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not coach, well fingers crossed when you have your head coach in for pre-season it tends to be better than not having them you would think um, there was a very real danger and nobody wanted to or sorry nobody within the walls of Kingsman Stadium wanted to admit to it um, before but it was going to be very very bad if he didn't arrive mm-hmm. until January because you look at how long it takes um, to get your methods in place. You can't really do that in January because yeah. you know you arrive and then what you're building up towards the European game. You don't have, you just don't have the time. You don't have that betting in time, and then you get in this position that Ulster have been in so many times, whether it be through injuries to star players or coaching changes, or players coming back from playing elsewhere or anything like that where it's oh we'll be better next year or just wait the next year and then you're like five years down the line and your window for winning silver is closed and you're starting to rebuild mm-hmm. again so you can't have this wasted time and that would have been half a season wasted so to have him in now where he has essentially two weeks if we disregard this wasp scheme of being of any importance bar seeing whether Katsia comes through it um, and just getting a bit of general match fitness rather than pre-season fitness in the rest of the players' legs, then he has two weeks before the Scarlet's game to really imprint what he wants and what he expects and what he demands of the playing squad. And that's an invaluable window of time. It's short, obviously you would have rather it was six weeks, but these two weeks I think are going to be invaluable. And then you can sit at the end of the season and you can really make a judgment on year one of Dan McFarlane's Ulster whereas had he arrived in January or even November you would have been making an assessment and the grade would have been incomplete basically rather than being able to make a fair assessment on what steps Ulster have taken under McFarland to going in the right direction again interesting comments uh, I mean as I say there's been plenty but I think it was Murray Rory Best who had said that this week he was taking like Dan McFarland was taking a bit of a back rolling training and just their back seat rolling just letting the other guys continue what they've been doing during pre-season just yeah, interesting yeah like he sort of said that 
um, he, you know, he'd have an overseeing role. I think the main difference, as we talked about last week and has been alluded to by the coaches, like Dan McFarland wasn't going to come in and start preaching about how to do back moves. He wasn't going to come in and try and overhaul any work that Jared Payne had been doing in the first four weeks of preseason. The real difference between him not being there and being there was the fact that he had your scrum coach, Aaron Dundon. He's not, not an experienced coach, really, in terms of the time put in, mm-hmm. was being the forwards coach and the scrum coach. So McFarland's come in, he's got this forwards expertise, so that's where he's going to change, essentially replacing what John O'Gibbs was doing mm-hmm. last year, of being the head of the ticket but the head of the ticket with a forward speciality. But he like to be honest, it would be naive for anyone to think that Don McFarland's had no influence over preseason training mm-hmm. in the first four weeks, as much mm-hmm. as it's gonna be claimed to the contrary. <laughs> like let's just let's be realistic about it. Yeah. You know, the guy has email and Skype and a telephone, <laughs> so pretty sure he was able okay, to be in contact with him. Yeah. Just just old school. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so he'll have been setting the agenda in pre-season regardless so he's come in and he's going to get a feel for things like the, the other thing that Bess said was you know there are people who don't know what his voice sounds like because they uh, you know they hadn't met him so he came yeah. in on Monday and he gave presentations Tuesday was his first pitch session Wednesday traditionally is the players off day Thursday today will be the captain's on and then Friday the game so it, it is that betting in process but it's a hell of a lot better doing that now than uh, in the week of say Leicester away in the Heineken Cup as it may have been had he been mm-hmm. arriving in January you know yeah when are the media going to get the, the meet him you guys haven't met him have you uh, no we have uh, first exclusive interview already so yes who are TV oh of course <laughs> I thought you were going to say you had an exclusive I was like oh, I didn't get that one for the website no, no. So you haven't uh, had, you have exclusive, met him yet, no? Exclusive interview with the club's official <laughs> TV. I might not wonder where they'd come from. To, uh, to be fair, um, I was actually in Glasgow, so wouldn't have been able to do it anyway. But, have. Um, um, so we think he's going to be media next week, um, yeah. which will actually be the first opportunity without... Uh, you just roll back from that joke about TV. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but next week will actually be his first opportunity because yeah. there's yeah. no travelling media going to Wasps, obviously. So No. Um, uh, yeah, because we sort of bypassed that Wasps game very quickly. Well, I bypassed it very quickly. Yeah. And I'm... I'm I'm ruining this ship here uh, just to continue the wrong thing um, but yes it's worth pointing out that we will not be there and it is not on TV anywhere so we will basically be just as wise as every other officer yes. fan come next week so don't expect any in-depth coverage of the, uh, the game next week it will be Scarlet's preview yeah we, just, we <laughs> might just pretend it didn't happen unless there's any big injuries um, but yes any no further input on Dan McFarland good that he's here and uh, away we go I, I did like the interview that he did because one of the things that I thought he was was he was realistic he didn't come in and start saying we're going to win trophies we're going to be pro 14 finalists we're going to be right up there in Europe he came in and he said look I'm going to take a look at what I've got and we're going to try and build on that guys are going to get opportunities to build on that and together as a squad we're going to improve and especially after a season like last season where 
you know, say things did not go as well as anybody wanted. There needed to be a dose of reality where um, Ulster are just going to focus on bringing through the next core of young guys. As Brent said in the paper today with Johnny, you know, the focus for Ulster now has to be bringing through these young guys. And it's good to hear that McFarland is very open to doing that and is uh, certainly behind the idea of building a squad and making sure that Ulster's squad is good as opposed to just those first 15. So, Jonathan, as you mentioned there, you were at the Pro 14 lunch on lunch. That sounded like lunch. Did you get lunch? Uh, over in Glasgow. Was it Monday at Celtic Park? Uh, and very interesting, I'm sure it was. Okay, yeah, it was grand, so it was actually. Did um, you get lunch? Didn't get lunch. You didn't um, get lunch? Well, then it was definitely a lunch. No lunch at a lunch. <laughs> lunch, no couple lunch. A couple of cups of coffee. Mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. is standard for any media event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of coffee. Early start, lots of interviews today, yep. so lots of coffee. Um, had an Indian, that was pretty good. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was afterwards, though, and it was just on my own time, but just right. whenever, we're talking, I, about, I like whenever we're talking about what I ate when I was there. Uh, anyway, I had a Nando's feature last <laughs> What did you get? Did you go for a korma? I didn't go for a korma, <laughs> I went for a Jalfruzzi. A Jalfruzzi, I like a Jalfruzzi. It, it was good stuff. Mm. Can't remember the name of it now, but. Um, well, you, please do uh, tweet us your Indian preferences for next week's episode. <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, let's get back on track here. <laughs> um, Pro 14 launch. So. We've all, actually we've already mentioned the Roy Best and Brent Cunningham interviews, but well, we're rightly through. Looking at other other set of tidbits, um, Ryan Wilson and Stuart McAnally were there as um, having worked or as representatives of Glasgow and um, Edinburgh. So talked a wee bit to them about um, what we could expect from Don McFarlane. Both uh, both spoke very highly of him. Um, both again honed in on that sort of technical ability that he has in forward play so just more on that reputation I suppose than what the various other people have already have already said about him and Scarlets look like they're going to be pretty much locked and loaded from the get-go and with the personnel they're going to have and they've got a friendly Running against Bath um, tomorrow night as we record on Thursday, where they appear to have twelve internationals playing, um, including John Davies coming back. So, has Stuart Murray lined up to start against Jonathan Davies next week? Yeah, baptism of fire. Um, Zebra appear to have had a budget cut again. I didn't know they could have one. Um, <laughs> Teresa very upset by their uh, fixtures. Um, start having so many games <laughs> away to start. Um, <laughs> Season two and some things never change. So, so, um, so what you have learned is that Scarlets will be good and Zebra won't be very good. Yeah, uh, Richard Cockrell. <laughs> um, I'm not going to do too much because I'm actually going to write a piece of this stuff because it's pretty good. But Richard Cockrell talking about um, sort of rebuilding effort going on at Edinburgh. It's probably a year ahead of Ulster, admittedly Ulster maybe starting from. A much better position than what Edinburgh started, but I guess Richard Cockrell being Richard Cockrell, his punchline was, yeah, we finished with the fifth best record in the league and got beat in the quarterfinals, and that less got me sacked at Leicester. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, sort of blunt about uh, his work going on there. I don't think there was any. Do you think Richard Cockrell could ever do an interview without throwing a subtle jab at someone? 
Well, it wasn't at somebody so much as at himself, I guess. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> he he counts as someone. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there was anything else that was particularly good. Um, yeah, nothing just I read you. from you was that good this week. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I've been throwing out my best off. I'm, I'm <laughs> in season four. You say, you um, say Zebra have had a have had a budget cut based on how much they spent on their new kits or how much it looks. Sorry, how much it looks like they spent on their new kits. I'm not sure they had a budget cut. More they cut a lot of their player salary and spent it on fashion design. Got nice kits, have they? Yeah. Also nice my, gear. Also my winning partner this year. Um, <laughs> what about the Ulster? Didn't we mention the Ulster kit launch on last week's podcast? Uh, an Ulster training gear ruined launch, <laughs> which isn't um, as exciting. What about the Ulster kit then? What's, we, uh, what's the crack? Did we had the podcast before that? Obviously not. So, we did. Uh, yes, yeah, so we had that last week. Um, uh, Will Addison is is a nice guy. That's what we can take from his podcast, or from his appearance. <laughs> his <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Sorry, from from his appearance since the last last podcast. Uh, Will Addison's in my bad books because you tweeted that it was a pleasure to meet him, and he replied to you. And I tweeted the same thing after I met him up in Cool Rain. He didn't reply to me. So. Jeepers, no one can hold a six-year for absolutely nothing. Um, what about the kit? Like, is it? Or is there not going to be it? I believe there is, a, there is. There is a European kit coming, but we just don't know. We where. just don't know. Where. It just it wasn't last Thursday. That's yeah. all. We know. <laughs> it'll be out okay. before. It'll be out before Europe. Well, you'd like the I fix sincerely hope so. Um, yeah, the other interesting thing from that, I don't know. We're obviously going back about a week now, but um, the way Chris Henry spoke about the change in approach, um, that it looked like they were going to make in terms of get their game plan, especially as a forward pack, um, really accepting the fact that they're not the physically biggest or imposing pack and trying to work ways around that. So um, it sounded like that was a Dan McFarland plan already wheels in motion before he arrived but that's something to keep an eye on as well moving on to the listener questions then that haven't been already dealt with elsewhere um, we have one from James Bradley who we think is a new listener it's, he tweeted that he liked last week's podcast something you're saying John, yeah, so which is very much appreciated he's, so, he's either a new listener or he just didn't like the rest for punishment that kept coming back despite not liking the rest of not the fair play to him so if you tweet us and praise us you will get your question <laughs> read out so here we are James Bradley asks where are the depth issues in the squad if we establish that it's not in the back row Adam where yeah. is it um, I think it's Lucy sorry you said Adam or is it you did say, he did say Adam and you went straight in there <laughs> and we hold that grudge I guess <laughs> um, that's Johnny said um <laughs> Yeah, loose head is definitely the glaring one. In, in terms of personnel numbers, I don't think there's a depth issue. It's just the personnel themselves. There's nobody from the loose head stocks that jumps out as you as being that standout guy that's definitely going to be the starter. You know, Andy Warwick has plenty of experience, but you know what you're going to get with him. Uh, much the same with Kyle McCall's. Skalk van der Merwe has has been quite a bit of a miss in terms of foreign recruitment and now you see Eric O'Sullivan getting the start tomorrow night so he's just on Eric O'Sullivan he, he has the potential to really make an impact here and say well I, I'm an option here because none of the other guys are putting their hands up to say I am the number one loose head here literally anybody might be the best loose head 
And also, <laughs> Rodney might be the best loose head if they just decide to turn him into one. It's yep. very, very hard to tell. Like, yeah. Kyle McCall, I think two years ago, we all thought was going to nail down the number one jersey. And then just the hamstring injury sort of really seemed to derail him. And he's had mm. an injury interrupted time since. And you, you wonder if he hadn't got that injury, where he'd be. It's not really, it's not really clear who is the best loose head. That, for me, is going to be one of the more interesting aspects, probably the most interesting aspect, really, of uh, one, the team selection for next week, and mm-hmm. two, the type of player that Ulster are targeting for next season with as much freedom as they're ever going to have in terms of foreign recruitment. Um, mentioned that Bryn Conning interview before about how they're not necessarily ever going to say right we need to have four foreign players because we're like four NIQs like that they want to give these young players the chance but it's at least said where there isn't really any outstanding candidates yet it doesn't seem like you're blocking anybody because nobody's put their hand up and claimed that uh, claimed that starting jersey to get, to get back to the question the depth one really matters in what way you're asking it because in terms of Pro 14 depth I don't think Ulster are really lacking anywhere except for loose head I think in in terms of Pro 14 depth you've got most positions covered maybe maybe scrum half's a little bit short as well Um, it's whenever you get to like whenever you're competing in the Champions Cup there are quite a few positions where you have a big drop off like at scrum half the distance between Cooney and Johnny Stewart and Dave Shannon is massive at the moment. And then you go into, on the wing, if Stockdale or Spate get injured, sure, you've got Gilroy to step in, but then, you know, you've, you've got David Busby is the only one left, David Busby or David Rob Busby's Little. Sorry? David Busby's out for the year. Well, yeah, exactly. David Busby's out for the year. So, you know, those, those are positions where... Mm-hmm you're quite short but in, in terms of Pro 14 depth I think Ulster are okay there, there are a lot of guys who can step in and do a job in the Pro 14 it's just whenever you get into those big games like around about Christmas uh, and especially in Europe and towards the latter mm-hmm. end of the season there are a few positions where you can still say well if if John Cooney gets injured then you're mm-hmm. in real difficulty and John Cooney you've got to remember is now going to be away with Ireland a lot mm-hmm. more so uh, scrum half is a position i be very worried about if Johnny Stewart doesn't show uh, a few signs of the potential that we all thought he had as a schools player. Yeah, I mean, I think injury to Cooney would be a disaster in the same way that uh, um, you lose a lot if or when Marcel was injured. Like, um, it can it can really derail what you're looking to see this season if you lose out in John Kenny. In terms of the back three, I mean, I think that your depth in the back three looks a lot worse at the minute because of Louis Ludic's injury because he's so versatile and gives you, I mean, Ludic would probably play said if he was asked without uh, kicking up any fuss. He would just probably <laughs> just take the jersey and then get in the scrum. Like. And he'd probably be the best loose head master. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's... <laughs> <laughs> it was a joke Johnny <laughs> but, uh, that, that might be a stretch but uh, he gives you that versatility and you know what you're going to get from him every week and so for him to be out until November in the early part of the season um, 
back three depth I think is an issue but he will ease that considerably whenever he comes back especially for November and December before Henry Spade goes back to Australia as well I mean you've got to think even right now at this stage Ulster only have three players in their back three who are fit and so sorry four if you put Addison into that group I've got Addison down on my list as a centre well, they, like, I think centre is his favourite position, but it is, he but will he, be in the back three. Yeah, because needs must. Yeah. Okay, well, Eamon J. Tully then asks, do we see any surprise teams in the Pro 14 this season? This was, an, uh, this was another thing, actually, from the Pro 14 launch, because I asked a few people this here in Ulster's conference, because last year it certainly felt like once we established that Edinburgh were good under this Richard Cockrell resurgence, it certainly felt like there were four teams for three spots in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Treviso then started to upset the apple cart with that December to March run that they went on. Yeah. Um, I was I wondered if that did the microphone pick up Adam's audible sigh. <laughs> I still went with uh, Teresa. Um, the rugby team based in Teresa. I have not been called Teresa for two years. <laughs> no. <laughs> Twelve months. Don't do this whole. It's two years because it was last season. Nonsense. So, to me, it probably looks like it's going to be very similar. This year, I mean, the constraints that Michael Bradley is working under um, with Zebra, uh, Bernard Jackman um, having to do such a massive overhaul with Dragons, um, just how far off the pace the Kings were, as much as you know, the Kings have got the new sponsorship deal and that's allowed them to actually bring in some players, which should make a big difference. Um, I still see it as four teams going for three playoff spots. Could Ulster be a surprise team this season? What, well, it depends what would constitute a surprise. Like, if they finished third ahead of Edinburgh, I don't think that yeah. would be a surprise. No. If they finished third okay. and there was a drop-off from Scarlets having lost a few players and having that sort of situation that we saw with Scotland and Gregor Townsend, Wayne Pivak's now in that situation with Wales... I don't think that would be a surprise. If they finished any higher than third, it would surprise me. Mm. Um, if they got mm. to a semi-final, it would it would surprise me. Yeah. But I don't think that would be as big a surprise as, say, if Dragons gave it a real push to be in the playoff spots. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. though you know, yeah. Ross Moriarty and Richard Hibbert, you know, they've made some big signings and are big name signings to mix with the young players that Bernard Jackman's trying to bring through. But like as much as we talk about how various coaches have been able to turn teams around in three years, I think Dragons is a much longer project. I just don't think the money's there for uh, for Kings and Treviso, mm-hmm. maybe. If the Dragons if the Dragons gel quickly I think they could be vastly improved on last year. Not a playoff team. Uh, definitely not a playoff team. But I think they could definitely be much more improved on last year and they could definitely cause a few people a bloody nose at Rodney Parade. Um, they, they could just be a very hard team to beat. Um, and I think that's as big a compliment as I can pay them, really. But as you said, it, it's a 
it's a long process for them. It's not going to happen overnight. They need to have that that influx of young talent consistently coming through. Rather similar to Ulster, and the Ulster are a bit further on in terms of the players they've already got there. I really like what Cardiff have done over uh, over the summer. Sammy Manoa is a huge signing in the back row, uh, and getting Dimitri Arhip to switch. Uh, yeah, I thought getting Arhip. Especially given where he was coming from, it was a big, was a big yeah, move. That's big. Um, so I think Cardiff can play a much bigger role this year. Not that they didn't play a big role last year, but I, I think they're definitely playoff contenders. Now, once you get into the playoffs, what one game, a one game shootout can change things completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. One of, one of the big things I would say I'm looking out for this year is the Cheetahs away form. If the Cheetahs can sort out their away form, they are one of the best teams in this league. Simply because that's where they fell down last year. Sure, they won games on the road, but if they were more consistent on the road and combine that with beating practically everyone at home, you know, you're talking about taking a playoff game to South Africa and you just don't see them losing that against mm-hmm. anyone. I think it's unfortunate just the amount of turnover that um, the Cheetahs had mm. having surprised people last season with how quickly they adapted. Obviously, like their home form was such that such a big bedrock of it, but they've lost so many good players now. They have, but the, the South African teams tend to replace them not easily it's, it's not like as soon as they lose someone they immediately go you, you're you taking this place and you're going to be the next Springbok just that they, they do seem to have a much better turnover of uh, talented young players but this will be the first time that we've actually seen it in the Pro 14 yeah. as opposed to looking at them in Super Rugby so it'll be interesting to see how it translates sort of in a new league but certainly whenever they were in Super Rugby they, they were able to replace you know not like for like, but certainly like for very close to like. Um. Mm-hmm. Well, time will tell on all that. One final question, then an interesting one coming in from Michael Jardine. He asks if you could sign any three players from past or present for Ulster, who would you sign? I'm going to say, I'm going to say for this present Ulster squad. So I suppose you have to take into it. So one, one of them has to be a loose head. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Ryan Pienaar, Pat, no. Um, um, You're probably still going to say Michael Lowry. <laughs> there it is. I joke got a wee rehearsal before uh, recording started and the boys both laughed, so I thought oh, I'll do that on air. It got a much better reaction before the podcast than it, it was did during. It was still polite enough to laugh, but, so even though you'd heard it before. Um... I'd love to watch Stephen Ferris's career all over again so I'd say him um, hopefully he listens to the podcast listens to that and think I should go on that and talk to these guys <laughs> <laughs> give us a call just, just if he's out there <laughs> you've got our number um, they could do probably still do with another lock to play alongside Henderson so Willie I'm taking, I was going to take Willie John, John McBride McBride seems like an obvious <laughs> shot yeah this head's a strange one um, I know Sid Miller is primarily a tight head but like he played loose head on the Lions tour so that's probably good enough uh, 
you can have any players and you're basically choosing like a makeshift loose head yeah. <laughs> <laughs> any three players and I've chosen three Ulsterman as well yeah, which, well, which is Br- nice gives Brynn flexibility for the yeah, absolutely. Spots whenever yep. he has to whenever yep. he has to sort it out um, I'm, I'm not quite so good with the with the old school players so I'm going to go for <laughs> I should point out that these are not players I've seen <laughs> no no <laughs> I'm not that I'm not trying to clean the yard. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go for current players. Um I'm gonna go for and I really hope I pronounce this right, Tendai Tawarera, the beast basically from South Africa. Yeah. Because I would love to hear the stadium announcer at Kingspan <laughs> try to pronounce that like I just did. That's a very decent shout actually. Every week. Um, plus he is an absolute monster yeah. um, and a great ball carrier um, I'm that I didn't come up with that one that was, yeah. in terms of I, I think Ulster really need a full back at the moment so they can put Addison to centre because I think that's where he's going to be better for Ulster so I'm going to go for and he's not actually a current player but Christian Cullen have him at full back And now there's a lot of silence because I can't think of, I can't think of a third one. I don't want to go right down the exact same line as Johnny because uh, but Locke is where Ulster could do with another player. And therefore you'll go with someone like Victor Matfield was always a favourite of mine. I was thinking Baki Spoza. Sign both of them. Can I have Bucky's Buddha in his prime as opposed oh, to Bucky's Buddha right now? Yeah, you can pick like a 78 year old Willie John. No, you can pick like the year you want them. Okay. Like, you can have. No. I'm just going to throw out three here because. Oh, the, yeah, that's go right. The first three players that come into my head. So here we are. I'm going to have 2003 Johnny Wilkinson. Okay. Because I, uh, my grand was from England and I really liked England back then. And I loved what that was just class whenever okay. it was great to get. And on the same vein, um, Martin Johnson from 2003 okay. because I, the first Ulster game I went to was Ulster against Leicester and he had been subbed and was up like in the old stand at Ravenhill just like standing up and I was walking past him just in a wee like there was like a wee pass just in front of him I was walking in front of him and just as I passed him like something happened the pitch that he got really angry at and he stood up and like shouted as loud as he could and I nearly pooed myself which <laughs> is terrifying and then what a great reason for wanting someone in your team yeah it was terrifying so he would like scare the current Ulster team to be fantastic and win the league and then Jonah Lumi because he's just my favourite player ever see like Jonah Lomu those were a better reason than I had actually imagined they would be Jonah Lomu was one that I thought about because just the first player that you remember yeah, been, you know, exactly. First global superstar. So and he had that yeah. game on the PlayStation that he used to love. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have that game. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I love that. I, uh, I broke a PlayStation playing that game because I pulled the controller so hard in frustration and <laughs> losing very late on. But that's Um Honey Badger would be really good for quotes, which is something that you have to think about rather than. Um, just how they fit yeah. in with Ulster, just like somebody that would give you good yeah, coffee, like you wouldn't be going in on a Tuesday being like, I have to write 800 words on this, lads, let's, uh, let's give us something snappy. And 
like 2005 Don Carter through a series of unfortunate events I never saw Don Carter actually play live so mm. the opportunity to do that mm, yeah, would, would be good I look I, I, I did this in 10 seconds one kneel down your three players each here I, I've, kneel, I've kneeled down my three this? who's your loose head that's what we're waiting for here isn't it I, I, are you still going for the I, I, I'm going to stick with Sid Miller, stick with Sid Miller. I, do, I don't want to flood the uh the NIK quotas. That's fair. Well, fair. So the loose head with an asterisk. Yeah. yeah. But why well, I can change mine from Becky's Buddha to Paul O'Connell if you want, if that helps the NIQ yeah, quota. Yeah, it would. Okay. It would. Yeah. So Bryn Bryn will be very grateful. Yeah, Not with so mine. None of her are in any way. So, so, uh, Irish. so uh, sorry about that. Bryn, I, I, but I, I named it yet there and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> <laughs> Just an overhaul of the score. Yeah. But here we are. Well, that's pretty much it for this week's also rugby roundup, which I don't know whether you could tell or not, but was the least prepared I've ever been, and I'm normally not that well prepared, so you can imagine how bad it was this week. Yeah, but here we have a lot to do with this week. A lot of things happening. Yeah, you can blame Rangers, Kyle Lafferty, and Belfast Celtic. It's a very cross community week, if nothing okay. else. But here we are. So until next week, when we will be having a full look ahead to Ulster season. And if you have any sort of questions in the build-up to the seasons, what we think about we, we, what we predict for Ulster season and season in general, please do ask them on Twitter. But for now, from yeah, we should uh, we should say about the Twitter by the way, because we're going to have a Twitter account, aren't we? Right? We are. So yes. we're going to have an Ulster Rugby Roundup Twitter account for this kind of thing. So if you look out for that during the week, um, and you can also find us all on Twitter. So mine's yeah. Jay Bradley BT. Mine is Ad McAndrew. Oh, mine's Gareth Hannah 11. I didn't know we were going to fire in a wee plug for ourselves. Well, there no, we go. No, if, if, you want, if you want any rugby yeah. tweets, don't follow me. If we're directing people to Twitter, then we should make yeah, it. Yeah, directing to us. I would more appreciate yeah. the follow Belltel underscore sport. Cause I'm trying you to can absolutely follow that one too, but yeah, keep an eye out on Twitter because the new handle will be getting started very, very soon. Yeah, we'll all tweet that out. Yep. And you can have a little look on that. So. Please do that as your homework for this week and uh, we'll make sure you all have um, next week whenever we join you again. We will still be Jonathan Brad. Thanks very much. Cheers. Alan McAndrew. Cheers, guys. And myself, Gareth Anna. Thanks for listening.